Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. What a blessing it is to be here with you all this morning out of the cold here to worship and worship we now. But first, let me just make a few announcements. Y'all, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's the new year. Things are cranking back up. So be aware. For instance, would have been having youth group tonight at 5.30, but we are canceling youth group tonight given the weather. Also, we're doing things a little differently this morning, but youth group and little lambs will crank back up next week. Also, our home study, Bible study, will be at the Patterson's Tuesday at 7 p.m. Um, prayer meeting Wednesday night at 6.45. Daily devotionals are going. All kinds of things are happening, so be aware of those things going on. And if you have questions about any of those things, times, places, that kind of stuff, come and see me or, or one of the elders and, and we will get things squared away. Now, uh, deacons, be aware, there was supposed to be a deacons meeting tonight, but it has been canceled, all right? So uh, you'll be in touch or Nat will be in touch with you to reschedule a time. So no deacons meeting tonight. Um, and again, just, just be aware of things happening. Um, we have a, a service project that is coming up next week. Um, there's things in here about WRE, about missions, all sorts of stuff. So be cognizant of that. Now, um, in a few moments, I'm going to offer the pastoral prayer. Let me just say that we're doing things a little bit differently this morning. It was sleeting a little while ago. It may start again. So we're going to be doing an abbreviated worship service. That means um, there's no choir anthem. We're, we're not going to be doing a children's sermon. We're going to be skipping one of the congregational songs. Follow along with me and we'll get through it just fine. Children are dismissed for children's church, though, immediately after the first hymn. Okay, so parents, your children are dismissed as soon as we get done with the first hymn during the offertory. Okay, um, we will get through this together. But in a moment, when I offer the pastoral prayer, we're going to be remembering a lot of different people. Got a lot of things going on. Um, Randy Ritchie is in the hospital. He's had a procedure on his arm. Charlene is playing for us today, and we're very grateful because Donna, tested positive for COVID. There's lots of people that have COVID out there. Lots of things are going on. So we need to remember those that are sick. Also, we have other people that are facing different medical issues, right? We need to continue to keep praying for Dale Grubb as he undergoes dialysis and, 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 and they try to decide the best treatment plan for him. Also, we need to be in prayer for Maddie Marsh. Um, I think today they're actually going to John Hopkins, but she has a very extensive, serious surgery tomorrow with a long recovery time for that. So we need to be in prayer for she and for Emmett um, as they face this time together and, and certainly for surgeons and doctors and nurses and all of those things. Um, we also need to be in prayer for the Marsh family in general. Barbara and, and Rob are here today, but Barbara's mom went home to be with the Lord the night before last. Um, so this is not totally unexpected, but at the same time, the timing is difficult with Maddie's surgery and Doug is going off to, to join the army in a couple of days here too for basic training. So just a lot of things all at once. So we're going to lift up the Marsh family in our prayers. Um, what a wonderful thing it is to be in the everlasting arms of God the Father, to, to know that he is active in our lives, that his timing is perfect and he's working all things for our good and for his glory. But even so, we will pray for peace and patience and a special measure of grace. And not only for the Marsh family, for all of us. There, there's lots of things going on here. Let me also thank you again for your prayers for my dad. Um, we got back yesterday afternoon and he's doing really well. So thank you for that. Now, again, things are gonna look different this morning. Just hang in there with me and we'll get through the order together. What a wonderful thing it is to have this time with one another. Let's prepare our hearts now as Charlene leads us in the prelude. Before I read the call to worship, or 
let me just say one thing else. I was asked about Sunday school. We're leaving that at your discretion. If it starts sleeting again and gets bad and you need to get home, we understand that. Otherwise, we will be having Sunday school. Now, our call to worship. Let's start at the start as we come into this new year. In Psalm 1, we read, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on God's law day and night. He is like a tree planted beside rivers of water that bears fruit in its season. And its leaf does not bear. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to ruin. My friends, on this second Lord's Day of the new year, what a wonderful thing this is to ponder, how the Lord works, what the Lord promises, that he comes alongside us, that he guides us by his Holy Spirit, but that we are to delight in his word. We are to meditate on it. We're to be people of his word, praising him and following it. And when we do these things, as the Proverbs say, he will make our path straight. What a wonderful promise this is from our Savior, and what a great call to worship this is. Let's now go to our Lord in prayer, and after which we will pray the Lord's Prayer and confess the Apostles' Creed. Our God and our Father, what a wonderful thing it is to have your word, to have your law, and even the instruction in it to meditate on your word. For Father, it is your light that we shall see light. It is by the direction the illumination of your Holy Spirit, that we will see the way forward. It is in your peace and comfort that we find the only real peace and comfort there is. And Father, in all of these things, we are reminded of your goodness and your love and your mercy, and that's evidenced in so many ways. The ways that you care for us, the protection that you offer, the way that you answer, the fact that we hear right now so father as we come into this time of worship we pray that you would guide us in it that again you would give us grateful hearts for all the things you have done for all the things you are doing and for all those things you will yet do and help us to keep set on you to focus on your promises on who you are especially in light of the challenges we face as we consider some of the things that our church is going through father Everything from long-standing illnesses to new procedures that need to be done to COVID that is still out there. There are so many physical needs within our church. We pray for Randy, who is still trying to recover from this procedure on his arm. We ask that the surgery would have been effective and that he wouldn't have any more problems. We pray for Dale, who is still undergoing dialysis and trying to find a treatment plan that will work. We pray for Maddie. Oh, Father, she has been through so much, and yet you have preserved her. You've given her faith that is, <laughs> that is so remarkable, and it's all to your credit and, and for your glory. But now as she goes into this difficult time, and Emmett goes into it with her and the rest of her family, we pray that you would give peace today as they await this time. We pray that you would give understanding to doctors and nurses, skill as well, and we pray that this surgery go well. And that the results of it would go well for Maddie too. But please be with her both tomorrow and in the weeks ahead. And we pray for the Marsh family with the loss of loved ones. Father, as Barbara's mother has come home to you, we are grateful for your faithfulness. That your word is true when you say that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. And you have done this. And yet, Father, there is sorrow there's joy at your promise, but there is sorrow at the loss of loved ones. And I pray this for the Marsh family, that you would give comfort, but I pray it for others who are struggling with loss. For we know that grief has no expiration date. In fact, we're not supposed to be comfortable with death. You created us to be with you forever. And so as both the Marsh family go through this difficult time and as others grieve the loss of loved ones, we pray Again, for that comfort, for that peace that passes all understanding. 
We pray for that comfort as well for your church universal. You've given us all the same task and we pray that we would be about your business. You've given us all opportunities to testify to your greatness. Forgive us for times that we have not and work in our hearts anew that we would be committed more and more unto your kingdom, that we would seek it first and understand that all other things will be added to us. Oh, Father, that we would do what your word says, that we would dwell in your word, meditating on it day and night. Oh, that we would trust you more and more. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, dear Christian, as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. In just a moment, I'll ask you to stand as we sing together. But ushers, at the completion of the hymn, I'll offer the offertory prayer, and then we'll take up tithes and offerings. So it'll be after this hymn, ushers, deacons, instead of after the next hymn, okay? And again, children will be dismissed for Children's Church after we are done with this hymn. But let's now stand together and take our hymn books and turn to number 85. The words are on the screen as we sing, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, 85.
Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, as we come to this portion of the service where we consider all that you blessed us with, we pray that as we return a bit of that to you, that you would bless the gift, that you would bless the giver, that these funds would be used in accordance with your will and for your kingdom and for your glory alone. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated and children may be dismissed for children's church. Thank you very much, Charlene. As the uh, son of a, a choir director here, director, I don't know if you catch hymns like I do. That was softly and tenderly, I do believe, was it? Yes. Charlene's shaking her head there. Beautiful hymn. I encourage you to look up the lyrics. It's all about how the Lord calls us, how he works in our hearts. Really a beautiful, beautiful testimony to who God is and how he works. Now, um, as I said, we're doing things differently this morning. <laughs> we're going right into sermon into the sermon right now and that's great because i'm excited to be with you today and, and to get back to where we left off in our series that we were in before thanksgiving and advent perhaps you recall and i hope you do but for the last several months we had been in a series on the names of god we focused on god the father first and then we moved on to jesus god the son as of late we have been focusing on the names of god the holy spirit and we've been doing this really for, for two main reasons, right? Um, the first is that God reveals who he is by his names in his word, right? Uh, if you want to know who God really is, look at This is applicable to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you've seen that thus far. But second, it's in knowing God's names that, that we're led to understand God's promises, Right? If you know God's name, then you see all these things that God says about himself, what, what God calls himself. Right? Uh, and as a result, you'll know better how to trust in him, how to pray, how to live a life of devotion to him. This is why God, through the prophet Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, he said, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in all the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You look at all those things that God talks about there to the prophet Jeremiah. Aren't those the very things that the world tells us we ought to be trusting in? 
and our strength and our smarts and our money. God says, don't focus on these things. Focus on me. And it's in knowing God's name that we do this, his various names. And so in light of this, when we take all of the names of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, right? When we consider all the promises attached to him. For instance, when God the Father promises to be the one who sees, the one who hears, the one who provides. When God the Son promises to be our salvation, our substitute, our Prince of Peace. When God the Holy Spirit promises to be the spirit of life, of truth, of knowledge, and, and wisdom, and so on. With all of the names that we've studied pertaining to, to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's in knowing these names that God testifies to himself and all the things that he is. And so no matter where you find yourself in life, it doesn't matter what you're going through, there is a name of God that corresponds to where you are to what you are facing, and along with that name comes promises. Do you need comfort? Do you need encouragement? Do you need provision? Do you need healing? Do you need direction? You know, it's like they used to say with the app store. You remember when smartphones came out, they used to say there's an app for that? You know, not being terse, but, but there really is a name of God for everything that you face because God makes promises that are comprehensive for the entirety of your life. God is active in every portion of the human experience and he does this out of his love that's the rationale behind why we are focusing on his names now as we continue our study of the names of, of god the holy spirit today we come to a name that we find in the gospel according to john so go ahead and take your bibles and turn with me because i got to turn there too uh, to john chapter 14 now as you're turning to john 14 let me just go ahead and say as you're turning there this is more of a setup. This week's sermon is a setup for the name that we come to. So we're not going to finish with this name today. Instead, I want to start our study on this particular name by examining what we find in God's Word that surrounds this name. All right? If you're going to understand God's Word, you've got to understand the context of any given verse, okay? What the implications are of a verse or, or a passage that's given. So our focus for today is understanding what the implications are of, of God's word that surrounds this passage, this name that we come to for the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to start reading in verse 15 of John chapter 14. But before we read anything, let's pray. We need help. Uh, Father, please be with us now. Guide us as we come to your word. Um, you are, are so gracious, so loving. Your, your care knows no bounds. Your power has no end. And yet, Father, as we come to this text, to any text, we realize how little power we have apart from you. In fact, as your son said in the next chapter of John, we can do nothing without him. And certainly, without your Holy Spirit, we're not going to understand without your Spirit. We're not going to see how your word applies to our lives. We won't get it without you. So please, guide us now by your Holy Spirit as we come into this time. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. And this is Jesus speaking, by the way. All right. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father or I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Okay, so now... Remember, while we just found the next name for the Holy Spirit that we come to in our series, we just read it, 
We need to set things up to really understand what this name means. When, it, when we find that the Holy Spirit is called the Counselor, that, that's the name that, that we find out here. It's in John 14, 16, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Counselor, okay, to be with you forever. Again, that's to understand what it means that the Holy Spirit is the Counselor. So, let's look at the passage again. It starts out in verse 15 here, and, and Jesus starts off by saying something that y'all, in a word, it is real, okay? What, what Jesus says here is so real, it's so concise, but it is so powerfully real that, that it cuts through all of the mumbo-jumbo of name and claimant theology, right? Evil, easy believism theology out there. It cuts through the modern concept of what it means to really follow Jesus. What does Jesus say in verse 15? He says, if you love me... You will keep my commands. If you still don't grasp the reality of this, if you don't get why this is such a big deal, realize again that these words, though they are few, they cut through this idea that Christianity and, and following Jesus is just about emotions and intentions. So much so that this single statement that we find in 1415, I, I believe it deserves a name, and I, I have referred to this as the slicer and the dicer because, again, it carves through every justification we can come up with. It comes through every rationalization because realize this, y'all. We got a problem as human beings. So when I say we, I mean we. It's not just you. It's me too. It's every single human being. We got a problem, and it's this. We're all really good at rationalizing our sins. In fact... I would argue that the most natural thing on earth for us to do outside of breathing, okay, is sinning and rationalizing it. If you don't believe me, rewind all the way to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve fell. What's the very first thing that Adam did when God confronted him? You remember? Husbands, this does not reflect well on us. And God came to Adam and he said, look at what you've done. And Adam said, well, God, it's this woman that you put here with me. Rationalizing, right? He talks to the woman. What does the woman say? Well, I was deceived by the servant. Rationalizing sins, reasoning things out. We're, and we get it on us. We get it from our first parents, from Adam and Eve. We're really good at coming up with reasons as to why we do what we want to do as opposed to what God wants us to do admit it y'all we need to to understand it because if we don't grasp this reality about ourselves that we will rationalize any sin if we don't understand our fallen nature when it comes to sin the, the theological term that's, that's popular in presbyterian circle is total depravity right that we are depraved not deprived depraved right that we are utterly sinful if we don't understand that we're never going to understand why it's important that God has given us his Holy Spirit. If we don't appreciate who we are, understanding who we are, we will never appreciate the Holy Spirit for who he is in that he is called our counselor. Right? We humans, redeemed or not, Christian or not, we can justify out anything. We can always find someone or something to blame. But what did Jesus say? He cuts through all of that our sin, you know, realize, you will not be judged based on the severity of somebody else's sin. There is no such thing as saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of doing this, but <clears throat> did you see what so-and-so over here did? There's a reason I think reality TV is so popular. It makes us feel better about ourselves because we can always find somebody worse. And we can use that to justify our behavior. But again, listen to what Jesus says. He doesn't even... All he says is, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And notice, he's not talking about the general public. He's not talking about people all, everywhere. At all. He gets down to the personal. You and me. If you love me, you will keep my commands. This is one reason why this is so real. This concept of loving God, y'all. Is something that has been twisted. 
It's something that has been morphed, a kind of association. Christianity has become yet another thing that gets compartmentalized in life that when it's time to be a Christian, you take that off the shelf and then you put on the Christian jacket and then when it's time not to, you take it off and hang it up. Y'all, loving God is about so much more than a preference, than a whim, than an identifier. Loving God is about what you do. And this concept is one that is presented all throughout Scripture. As I think about my own life, I, I think I've told you this story before, but something comes to mind for me, and it's such a strong memory, I'll share it again with you, um, about what it means to love God. And this goes all the way back to when I first became a minister. You know, different denominations do different things. If you're brand new to the ARP, realize that we have a very stringent process for those that are elected or, or become pastors. Um, Frank is here. Frank is about to go through some of this process himself. James just went through it to be ordained as a pastor. Um, but it's not always that way with other denominations. In fact, there are some churches and denominations that if you can come up with the phrase, I've been called, then they will ordain you. But that is not the case in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Realize that before you can be ordained, you've got to receive degrees, you've got to have education. Uh, you've got to go through something they call the trials of ordination. And that's a perfect term for it because you get examined after you've done your preparation for the ministry. Again, this is uh, referring to educational degrees, right? Um, you get examined first by a committee in various areas. I, I remember I was examined in the areas of Old and New Testament, Greek and Hebrew languages, church history, church polity, practical ministry skills, counseling skills, and a partridge in a pear tree. They could ask me anything they wanted to about anything in the Bible or anything surrounding the Bible. Um, and I remember my own examinations. Um, I made it through committee just fine. Then I had to be examined by the presbytery. Now, y'all, it's hard enough to preach in front of preachers. You've got to do that, too, along the way. But it's even worse when you're in a room full of people and they're pastors and elders, and they can ask you anything they want. I remember it, July 2000, or excuse me, June 2007. I was up and I was being asked all these questions, and everything was going great, and I thought the examination was over. But then a man stood up. Has anybody ever seen the movie Rob Roy? It's from back in the day, Liam Neeson, you know, at the end of the movie, stands up and cuts a guy in half with a sword. Well, his, like, great, great, great grandson, Rob Roy McGregor, the whatever, stood up, and he was a professor of Latin and French at Clemson University. Also, he was a theologian. He translates John Calvin's sermons that are in French into English for fun. Anyway, this guy is a dynamo, right? Very, very, very strong voice. He stood up. And that was one of those moments when, like, all the saliva leaves your mouth and it feels like you got pennies under your tongue, right? And so he stands up to ask me a question. He asks me, or he says, you say you love God, but what is it that you love? That was his question. Now, being a student, my go-to answer was to answer confessionally. That's what they tell you. And Frank, I would tell you the same when your exams come up. When you get asked a question, answer with the Westminster Shorter Catechism or the Westminster Confession of Faith. Because nobody's going to disagree with the confession. When he said that you love, I said, well, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. I had to memorize that also before I could ever become a pastor and all the other questions too. But that's how I answered. And I thought I did great. But he just sort of stood there and he said, well, all of that's true, but that's not what I asked. Again, he said, I asked, or I said, you say you love God, but what is it that you love? Well, let me tell you, I had no earthly idea what he was talking about at that point or what he wanted to know. And I felt a little bit better because as I looked around, it was very much similar to this setting. I looked around at other pastors and they were going, you know, they didn't know either. And he had, Rob Roy had a habit of doing it. Wonderful man, very patient man. But he had a habit of asking these questions just way out and nobody knew the answer to it. But interestingly enough, the other pastors, their professional career wasn't writing on how they answered questions that day. But nevertheless... Yeah, finally, I, I reworded some things, and we kept going back and forth. And finally, he said, well, he said again, all of what you've said is true. 
But then he said, but I want you to think about the implications of this question. You say you love God, but what is it that you love, that you really love? He agreed to meet with me later, and it was at a a table at Olive Garden in Anderson, South Carolina, that he finally revealed what he was looking for. And let me tell you, I felt so silly. I felt so silly because what he shared with me and the road that he led me down, it corresponds so perfectly with what we've read today. And and part of the reason that I think I was off and that we can be off when it comes to love is because of the modern concept of love. Right, I preached on this before. We use this term so flippantly, right? Um, take, for instance, in common conversation, we say, oh, I love fill in the blank all the time. If, if Trevor you know, calls me on the phone this week or Doug says, hey, well, Doug won't. He'll be in the Army. Sorry, Doug. But if Trevor calls me and says, hey, you want to go to Taco Bell? I would be likely to say, oh, yeah, I love Taco Bell. But do I really love Taco Bell. <laughs> you know, if it came down to it and, and, and a crunch wrap was laying on a train track and a locomotive was coming, would I throw myself in the way of the train to save the crunch wrap? No, I wouldn't. In fact, uh, that scenario would be pretty entertaining instead of a penny on a track. Maybe you should put a taco on there. But nevertheless, you know, this concept of love, love has been reduced to emotional feelings and strong preference. That's the modern context of love. That's one of the reasons why a lot of marriages don't work out because love is not based on real love. A lot of times, again, it's emotional feelings. It's strong preference. But the reality is, and I love the way that Martin Luther said this, the, uh, the monk, not the king. He said, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Now, he's not saying emotions aren't important. They very are. They very much are, but y'all know how emotions work. You can be really, really excited about something and then not so much anymore. You know, take Taco Bell, for instance. I would say, oh, I love Taco Bell. And maybe there was a time that you loved Taco Bell. Maybe because of digestive issues and other things, you don't love Taco Bell anymore. Strong preferences, no matter how strong they are, they change. Right? Emotions can be extremely deceiving. And so when we talk about love as it relates to our relationship with God, when so many people talk about love as it relates to loving Jesus, a lot of times people are focused on strong preference and feeling. And they miss what Jesus said about love. Again, back to the question. Well, the answer to who God is is in what God does. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. God is truthful. God is merciful. He's patient. He's kind. He's giving. He sacrificed himself on the cross in Jesus, God the Son. God is all of these things and so many more. What Dr. McGregor was getting at in his question to me was this, and it's so brilliant and powerful. Again, if you say you love God, what do you love? What he was getting at is if you say you love God, You're saying you love the things of God. You're saying you love what makes God who he is. Let me elaborate further. If you say you love God, then you're saying you love truth and righteousness and holiness and mercy and peace and kindness and self-sacrifice. We all say that we love God, but according to Dr. McGregor's question, Do you really? His point was that if you don't love the things that make God, God, then can you say that you really love him? Can you say you love God if you're a liar? Because God is truth. And if you love God, you're going to love the truth. And the truth will be who you are. You can say you love God all day, but... God is merciful. Do you show mercy to other people? God is forgiving. You say you love God all day long, but if you refuse to forgive, it just doesn't fit, does it? You can't love God and turn your back on his attributes. What it comes down to is you can't love God and ignore the what makes him God side of this. 
as it relates to Jesus here, when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Y'all, you can't say you love Jesus if you don't do the things that Jesus did. And in fact, when we sin, when we turn our backs on what Jesus tells us to do, not only do we not love Jesus, we show contempt for him. Especially knowing what he did to pay for our sins. How foolish we are. What, what liars we are if we say we love God, if we say we love Jesus, and at the same time, we don't love truth. We don't prove it by being truthful. We don't love mercy. We don't love forgiveness and all those things that make him who he is. How dare we? How dare I? What arrogance must we have, must I have? To preach and testify that I love God, that I love righteousness and holiness, and time strive for holiness and righteousness in my own life. This is why I said that John 14, 15 is the slicer and dicer, why it cuts through every feeble argument. And this concept isn't unique to what Jesus said here. If you go to 1 John, we find it out there too. John says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Again, the message of God's word is that it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do. And to my shame, what I do is who I am. And what you do is who you are. It's not hard to understand what Jesus is saying here. If you love me, you will keep my commands. This isn't difficult. To understand. But here's the problem. It's not only difficult to follow. Oh, it's impossible. But my friends, this is where the next name of the Holy Spirit comes in. There's no point in sugarcoating it. It, it is hard to be like Jesus. It is hard to really love him. Not in thought, but in reality and action. It's hard to do the things that Jesus did. It's hard to do what he says. Not because we don't understand, but because our want to is busted. The problem is never knowledge. We live in the age of knowledge. But we're drowning for lack of wisdom. The problem is never us knowing what we should do. God's law is written on our hearts. The problem is we don't want to do it. And the reality is we will never love Jesus on our own. But my friends, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. And this is where we'll pick up next week. But look at verse 16 again. After laying down the gauntlet, after telling his disciples, and by extension, you and me, what it is to really love him, what it is to really follow him, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. This is what it means that the Holy Spirit is the counselor first. Do you see how much Jesus loves you? Do you, do you see how much how comprehensive God's care for you really is. On our own, we would never follow Jesus. Never. On our own, we would never, ever choose his way. We would always choose our way because we are intrinsically, the core of our being is rooted in selfishness. That is who we are. And yet, not only has Jesus saved us from our sins, he has given us his spirit to dwell within us, to empower us to do the thing that we would never, ever do on our own. To be the counselor. That's the name of the Holy Spirit that we come to today. He is our counselor, and that's a good translation because it tells us who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit really does. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us as God's people, to be our representative, to be the one that goes through life with us, to be the one that illuminates the way forward for we, so that we can see, to be our advocate with God and to be our helper. In short, the Holy Spirit, as our counselor, helps us love and follow Jesus because we never do it on our own. It's by no mistake that Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments that immediately thereafter he promises the Holy Spirit. You know, some translations, I don't know what you're using, some translations use the term advocate or helper, but in fact, counselor is a good term because it's used not in relation to counseling or therapy. If you say, I gotta go see a counselor, it's used as a judicial term. 
You know, when two lawyers meet together, you know what they say when they shake hands? They say, counselor, counselor, because that is who they are. And the Holy Spirit, as if he is our lawyer, our advocate, the one who speaks for us and with us and through us, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Because of who he is and because God knows us so incredibly well. He knows what we need. The question is, are you indwelled by the Holy Spirit? We find out that the Holy Spirit is given as a, as a seal, guaranteeing, as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. Do you have the Holy Spirit? If the answer is yes, I've trusted in Christ, that's great. But are you relying on the Spirit? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to show you what it is God wants you to do? And are you asking for the power to do it? That's why God's given him to you. If not, make that commitment today. Seek God's word earnestly and you will see again and again that the Holy Spirit works. And let me tell you something. If you are here today and the devil has lied to you and convinced you that you've got to clean up your act, that you've got to be this, that you've got to be that in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, y'all think about who David was. David was an adulterer. King David was a murderer. You remember after the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him? You remember what he said? What he prayed to God? If you think that you've got to clean yourself up before the Holy Spirit will indwell you, realize that David, after committing adultery, after murdering someone, prayed that God would take not his Holy Spirit from him. God loves you so much that he knows exactly who you are. And he sent Jesus to die for you just the same. And not only that, he has given you your, his spirit to make you less like you and more like him. But it will only be through Jesus Christ. If you have not turned to him, do not wait another day. Ask him to be Lord of your life and he will come and get me. We will talk. This is the most important thing ever. I have done that already. If you are trusting, don't turn loose. Again and again, look to the Lord. Look to the Spirit for guidance and for truth. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time. And we pray that you would bless us by your Spirit. Give us grateful hearts. Leave us alone. Because on our own, we're nothing. We'd never seek you. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, we are transformed into the sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. If there are any here that do not know you, work in their hearts now and draw them to yourself. For those of us that do, give us a renewed commitment to trusting you and seeking your face. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us stand as we close and sing together hymn number 310, Take My Life and Let It Be. Please stand with me as we sing. Yeah. Uh -huh.
As you depart, please do so swiftly. I have no idea. It might have done nothing the whole time we were in here, and it might be icy. I don't know. But go with the Lord now. Receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.